Hi, I'm Ish, aka Alicia Ford. I'm class of 1991, and you're watching Dingo Talk. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadalino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Ish Ford, class of 1991. Uh, Ish is going to tell us everything about how not necessarily an early bird, didn't really do the 9 o'clock classes, 9 a.m., uh, didn't necessarily feel that her academics should be judged based on a warm seat. Um, and it, it served her pretty well as she ends up graduating with distinction. Uh, so I'm going to let Ish tell her story because graduating with distinction, she created a group known as the 1933 Society. Um, so without further ado, Ish Ford. You want to know by now. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carla Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is class of 1991, Alicia. And for all of those people out there that don't know her, is that it's Ish Ford. Uh, Ish, thank you for stopping by uh, the day after Thanksgiving. I'm sure it's been a busy day for you. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to be here. We actually have a pretty chill Thanksgiving, so this is a perfect time to do it. Well, we're going to do this the same way we always do. Ish is going to tell us how she made it from Bridgeport, West Virginia, to this corner of West Virginia. Uh, we'll talk about our time here. Come take a break, send it to Harry Chambers, come back, and we'll talk about comps and graduation and everything that Ish has done since. So, Bridgeport, West Virginia, 1987? Yeah, that was my graduation year, yeah. So, how, why Bethany? Why Bethany from Bridgeport? Well, um, from the time I was the smallest child that I can remember, the only thing I wanted to study was French. And we were, we didn't have French in the public school system until seventh or eighth grade, eighth grade, I think. And we had, a, I had a really great foreign language teacher. And at the time, Bethany College had something called Foreign Language Day. They had Dr. Pauline Nelson there. They had a rockin' foreign language department. And we competed, my, my high school competed at Bethany College's Foreign Language Day. And it's one of those things that happens how it happens, I guess, because I, I already knew that I loved, I wanted to study French. I wanted to move to France, but I also happened to be considered to be very good at it. So when I came up to Bethany, we were competing against the Montechantel kids. And for I was consistently winning in every category when I came up in extemporaneous in uh you know we had to do a monologue and i did the joan of arc's prayer from alouette and so and and this caught the attention of the folks at bethany who started recruiting me to be a foreign language major from the time i was in the eighth grade i pretty much knew i was going to bethany college so i, I don't have to ask if it was the beautiful campus or anything like that you were kind of getting you were being pulled for four years before you were even close to coming to bethany Absolutely. And that was, I am, I was the first person in my family to go to college and I'm still the first person in my extended family to have gone to and will have graduated pretty much from college. And um, I was poor kid and I was going to have to go on a scholarship and Bethany was recruiting me and grooming me. And I was actually also offered a full scholarship to West Virginia Wesleyan. And my mom very much wanted me to go to WVU because it was closer. <laughs> but I wanted, I was a, a, a small town. Well, Bridgeport's not a small town, but I was a small town kid with big dreams. I wanted to go to an Ivy League school. I wanted to go to Brown or somewhere like that, which was far beyond my financial grasp. Mm -hmm. But Bethany seemed to me the most like that experience. And, and that was, I very much wanted a real college experience. I didn't want to be a suitcase kid. I didn't want to go home on the weekends. I wanted a strong college community, strong campus community. I wanted the beauty and I wanted the real deep experience with the professors. I wanted to learn. I was a, I was a secret nerd masquerading as trying to be a cool kid. And, uh, and so I, I had my heart set on Bethany absolutely from the minute I sat on campus, yeah. So you get here. And what is your initial reaction to the academic side of things? So here's me. Um, I, I signed up to come to college. I get the scholarship. I, I was one of the first Kalon scholars. I did not know that. So I got a Kalon scholarship 
and I got a, a different scholarship. So I had very minimal. I got work study. I had very minimal. I could afford it. I think I was, I had to take out $2,000 a semester in loans and that was it. So Bethany was very generous to me. And so I get my freshman schedule and it's, you know, mass comm. Um, uh, my, my freshman seminar was adapting fiction to stage and television with Dr. David Judy. So it's heavy into this, always heavy into journalism and writing, which ended up being my major. And I didn't get into honors freshman English. And I was appalled. I was like, why aren't I on a freshman English? Because I'd seen it in the brochure. I was ready to go to college. And so I like, as I, I called Larry Grimes, like summer my I was like, hi, my name is Alicia and I don't understand why I'm not on a freshman English. And what did Larry <laughs> say in a rebuttal to that phone call? He was like, uh, let me look at you. You know, he, so he took a look at my like transcripts or whatever and probably just on the strength that I had, you know, 18 years old, I had called him up. <laughs> like, why aren't I in your class? And um, and I got put in honors freshman English. And there was only one other person on campus that had the same schedule, exact same schedule that I did. And that was a girl named Holly Bentz, who is now Holly Bentz Cox, who ended up being my best friend. She was on my freshman hall. And so I'm like taking, you know, math, calm, you know, adapting fiction. And of course, I'm thinking, you know, I have like eight books. no. We had to, I had to buy 22 books my first semester freshman year. We read two novels a week for, for our class. Which is <laughs> so not cheap. Not cheap. No, well, that. at the time, textbooks were not as, and again, it wasn't like I was buying like this textbook. I was buying, looking for Mr. Goodbar, the plays of Flannery O'Connor, Gone with the Wind, um, you know, Beowulf, stuff like this that we were reading for these honors freshman English class and then the adapting fiction to stage and television. So the trick was, it was literally from Holly and me and nobody else on campus, it was two novels a week. Plus we were reading Gone with the Wind as you had to read so many chapters. What saved me was that I had read Gone with the Wind already at, from an assignment in high school. But I mean, I walked around first semester, freshman year with like walk and read at the same time because that was the only way to get that done. So my first semester, my and, and Holly tells this story all the time, I also had I tested into a minor in French. So I had a minor. So, but I wanted to take like French three anyway. And Dr. Nelson and I, God bless her because she was a better person than me. She had her classes at eight o'clock in the morning and I just could not get there. And so I got a 3.93 my first semester freshman year and I cried. <laughs> You know, I had one of those numbers in, in my GPA and they were not in the order that you just said them. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that, Holly tells that story all the time because she was horrified. She was like, who cries over their grades? I'm like, nerd. So was that the lowest GPA you got in your whole time at Bethany or? <laughs> no. So what happened after that was I realized that there was more to life than grades. Because there was, again, there was such a rich campus activity life. I mean, and I actually, in Bridgeport, West Virginia, went to a really good high school, and I did not know that. So I walked onto campus and went to sign up for the student newspaper and found out that my high school teacher had taught me everything there was to know. Like, there was nothing for me to learn about putting together a newspaper. So I walked into the newspaper and was super prepared. And they were like, yeah, you're a volunteer. So they snatched me up and I worked for the radio station and I worked for the yearbook and I did all this stuff. And I found it. I found that my college life got in the way of me getting to class. And, um, and Bethany had an attendance policy and I really didn't know that, but I did know that I was getting seized in journalism because I realized going into it then that I had some family responsibilities and some things that I probably wasn't going to spend a semester in Paris. So I switched my major to communications mm -hmm. and having tested into the minor allowed me to take a bunch of philosophy and English classes that I otherwise would not have had room for because, you know, I was on scholarships. I had a set amount of hours, but um, I, uh, I would get these grades. I would, you know, Joe Leeson was there, this guy named Joe Leeson, and I never, never went to his classes. And uh, he was like, he would give me C's consistently, but I would get A's on all my papers. Mm -hmm. 
And so, so I was at a new house. Because the dip in the grade, because the work was being. Yeah. And I was a bit of a, of a pill in college. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be graded on whether or not my seat's warm. So I'll take the C. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> this is why that, that when I came to, when it came time for me to take my comps, the whole thing was a little fraught because I did not have a reputation as being a stellar student, but we'll get to that. Well, so let's talk about the communication show. I've had other communications majors on. I'm a communications major myself. Um, would you say that the biggest benefit from a school like Bethany with the comm department is the fact that as a freshman, you can walk into the door and be on the radio, be on TV, be on the news crew. Now it's the online tower, but still the same, same general concept right. of being writing. Um, is that the strongest strength of the department or is that just one of the pieces that make that department? That was huge for me because um, I'm a doer. Like I'm a person that I mean, I, I love the nerd side and the philosophical side of things. I love that kind of, those kinds of issues. But I also, especially like, you know, for, for science or science classes or, you know, health classes, you're going to have labs where you're going to go in and you're going to do what you're doing. And I think that if you're not kind of getting that lab experience with journalism, with writing, with, you know, doing the podcast or doing the TV show or doing the radio, whatever you want to do, if I know everything there is to know about the history of radio and the philosophy of music and, and advertising and marketing, and I've never sat in front of a board, who can hire me? You know, yeah, and you're not useful in that. Right. And you can't hit the ground working. And, you know, I, uh, I've had a lot of people say to me, you know, I've, a, I've from other colleges, I have a comm degree and there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, well, I have a comm degree and I've done everything there is to do. Like I've been able to parlay that that degree into two or three different career tracks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that, I mean, I think I learned quite a bit. But, you know, it's interesting because Dr. James Keegan came when I was a senior and Dr. Keegan was uh, British. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm saying that exactly right, but he was from, he was British and he he taught about what media was becoming. And at the time I was not able to grasp that. Like he talked about the British media being very, very vocal in its bias. There wasn't this idea of striving for objectivity, which as an old school journalist now, I, I came out and we had learned things like you never do a one source story. Like this is the biggest thing to me. People will be like, here's this story and here's this one person I talked to. And they, you know, we, we never did a one source story. We had to ground truth everything. There was no, you know, like we couldn't even say someone gave a withering glance because that's editorializing. How am I, who am I to interpret that person's glance? So you had to be very specific about these ethics that you were bringing to the table. And he talked about the difference in British media and how it was, you could give a withering glance and that kind of, that what he was teaching us at the time, I did not know how relevant that would become in American media as, as the years have gone past. And I'm very thankful. I hope they're still teaching. I hope now they're teaching what journalism used to be like versus what it is now. That's, because we people, were, that's huh? how we were taught. We were taught that this is what media was and this is where it's heading. And you know, there was a three part to your, to your classes. The beginning three weeks or four weeks were this is where you, this is where media came from. The middle was here. We, here's where we are to sitting today. And the post is normally, you know, what are three things, social media, et cetera, that are heading towards leading the communication field and the media field. Yeah. It's very interesting to me because I talked to a lot of people, young journalism majors about what, you know, how it was and they are, they're very surprised at the hoops we had to jump through to get a story out the door and the things we had to do. And it's funny because I had some of the, I went to work in Morgantown immediately after college and I had, I worked for the Dominion Post mm -hmm. and I worked for WVU News and Information Services. And I had an editor at the Dominion Post that if a baby under the age of two, if we got an obituary in the newsroom for a baby under the age of two, 
one of us lucky little campers had to call that family and ask them why that baby died if it wasn't the obituary because she maintained that a lot of times there was a story there and we got hung up on a lot but we also yeah but we also got you know a lot of stories about family struggle and different families wanted to talk about different diseases or the hospitals or what they had been through and i always tell people because you know folks today they they don't interact like we did like we're like you could always i've always said the phone is my weapon i can pick up the phone and call anybody but mm-hmm. once you've made that phone call there's literally no other phone call that you're ever afraid to make <laughs> no. no i imagine i imagine not um you talked about the social aspect and kind of it guiding more of your college career after the debacle of the first semester losing that 0.7 percent or whatever 0.07 percent <laughs> um what was the social aspect like? I mean, I know Bubba's was probably the place to be before the white elephant, correct? Pre-white oh, yeah. elephant? Yeah, no, we were, well, I don't ever, I have no reference point for white elephant. I've never heard that. That's the the downstairs. Uh, Ev Del Sarah told oh. me that's what they called it was the, uh, was the white okay. elephant because it was an elephant, it looked like an elephant trunk off the back of the building. <laughs> well, that, I think that was there. I think they put that in my senior year. Okay like going into my senior year and I remember uh, you know those folks of us to Bethany just staring at it <laughs> like like just staring down at it because you know Bubba's was so quaint and so unusual and so small and I remember you know at homecoming and on midnight that everybody would just go there and pack the place to the rafters. I mean, you couldn't move. It was so far above the fire safety code. And it it was such it, such an exciting time because especially on bid night where you'd go, you'd fill out your bid and then everybody would go to the bar and nobody could talk to each other, right? Because so of the... Was, right. So there was a lot of this crisscrossing communications trying to interpret glances and see who's talking to who and, you know, are they smiling? Are they sad? And, you know, it was a lot of a lot of energy in the air because we were all in this one same place. But the other aspect of it was that we could have all campus parties. And I was Greek and I think Bethany was percentage wise about 60% Greek when I went to Bethany. And I, that was also something I very much wanted was to join a sorority. And so I did. I became a Zeta. And I just thought they were the greatest things. I mean, to me, the girls of Zeta to Alpha were so unbelievable. And, you know, the thing about Bethany, again, being a kid from West Virginia, I never knew kids who went to boarding school. I saw kids who went to boarding school on TV. I didn't know people from other countries. I saw them on TV. And then here I was, we had this girl in my sorority named Suzanne Shameen. Mm-hmm. And Suzanne Shameen was, you know, Serena Vanderwoodson before anybody had ever conceived of Gossip Girl. And the girl, Suzanne, could cause such a stir. Every week she came back to campus. Every school year she came back to campus late. Like classes had started. And all about, you know, everybody's like, is Suzanne coming back? Has anyone heard about Suzanne? I mean, it was just, you know, she just did this thing. She was larger than life. She came from Chicago. And, you know, her family was very well-to-do. And, you know, she's just, and a lot of kids at Bethany were like that. They were they came from really professional families and lineages and people from New York and New Jersey and, you know, Canada and Spain. And I really felt like I, you know, I couldn't get enough of the social aspect of it. So we had these, every mixer would open up to an all campus party at like 10 or 11 o'clock. So no matter where you were or what you were doing, you could get back with your friends if they weren't at your mixer and the all campus parties that, you know, the fraternities had and, you know, the Luau and Heaven and Hell and the Goldfish Party and, you know, the Bowery Bra and those things were, I understand the liability of it. And looking back now, I'm sure it's horrifying, but. They were staples because they are, they are yeah. things that even when you talk to like as an Alpha Sig, I mean, we've heard, I've heard stories of every party from the Luau down and why they were what, what they were and why you respected the fact that I believe heaven and hell was Sigma Nu and Zeta. 
No, heaven and hell was doubt. Doubt and Zeta? No, heaven and hell was just doubt. And they might have had a, Lua was always Ita and Zeta, um, the Bowery Bra. And then South, Alpha Sigma and Zeta used to do the wedding, the bride, the, the bridegroom. And I was actually the first bride. The first out, the first bride in that mixer, and I forget what it was called because I was supposed to go to White Rose with a guy named Rad Manzo at Sigma Nu, and Rad and I were very similar in personality. And White Rose was this thing, and this is again a different time. And I tell people all the time, White Rose was this thing where you went in, and the seniors and they wrote little poems and limericks and everything, and the goal was to completely humiliate and tell all of the secrets. <laughs> that would not go well today, I will say. That would, uh, oh, well, it happens it, on Twitter, but at least you're behind a computer or a phone. You're not. Oh, no. Yeah, you stood right in front of people and were like spilling the tea everywhere. And it, every year, I mean, it resulted in fiery breakups and people crying. And I mean, and we thought that was great. <laughs> Human interest. So, Gen X was like, woohoo. And, um, and so I was supposed to go with Rad, and we were going to demolish the entire campus. And then I got asked to be the first bride at the mixer between uh, between Zeta and Alpha Sig, because Alpha Sig was sort of my home fraternity, as it were. Those were my boy. Those were the boys that I liked the best. And uh, and so I ended up doing that, which is probably good, all things considered, because Rad and I together probably could have really been ruthless. <laughs> that night it would have been good but you know even when nowadays when they do like um the senior things at zeta and they do will senior wills we used to make people cry like they would will terrible things and you know insults and and people cried and i tell what i tell people now is that especially people that were for many years people didn't come back and i was like you know zeta is not the zeta you remember but it is the Zeta you would want your daughter to be in because now they don't do any of that stuff. They're loving and supporting. And I'm sure there's fighting just like normal people, but we sort of fought for sport. <laughs> it was more just to sharpen skills than it was because you were. <laughs> yeah. Gen um, X was like that. We were ruthless. So. so the last part of part one, I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, so I normally ask about concerts and we talked before the show. Not as many concerts come to your mind, but the plays come to your mind. So yep. what were some of the plays that you remember going to? And why did they, why was that the area that, that you, you, sticks out to you? Well, one of the things when I went as a perspective, I went for a couple of different visits and the man you heard about was Dr. David Judy. And I'm sure doing this podcast, you've heard about Dr. David Judy. And Dr. David Judy was this legendary kind of theater guy and, you know, Bethany was not a suitcase college. Nobody went home. I rarely ever left campus. I didn't go to Pittsburgh, Wellsburg, Washington, nothing. And, and when there was a play, again, it was one of those things where no matter who you were, what your major was, you could try out for the plays. You could be in the theater. So all your friends were in the play and, you know, everybody went to the play one night or another. So it was one of these things. And, and I, I always tell people, I love the Macy's Parade. It's a big deal to me. And one of the reasons that it was a big deal to me is because it was the only Broadway I ever saw as a child. Growing up in West Virginia, this is where I got my theater experience, you know. And uh, I was not into plays. I can't act to save my own life. But, uh, but I loved to go to the shows. And one of the first plays I ever saw was this really weird play called Baby with the Bathwater. And it comes from the phrase, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, which again, I had to learn what that meant. You know, it's like, kind of just focus on what's important here, you know, and let the rest go. I'm glad but, you explained that because I was really <laughs> wondering where the explanation was going to lead us. Yeah, baby with the bathwater. And they did um, like that, that one about the dinner and there was just, and everybody I knew was in the place and you go, you went and they were quality. And so that's what I really remember was just that if there was a play, we all always went one night and there were always plays. It just seemed like there were always and the theater department to me, again, was one of the reasons why I wanted to go and was part of the social fabric 
the gentleman that was just here visiting, John Sayers, and I, we talk a lot, we talked a lot this time, and we've talked about it before, about this idea of community, that we, um, I believe, you know, there's this American individualist idea, like, I should get ahead and I should get what I want and I should be special. And there's a small group of us out there still that are common good people that are community people. And that, you know, John and I both are big believers in public education. And one of the things that public education gives us is this shared experience. And those things are so important to the, to the fabric. Once you get so hyper individualized, you lose this kind of common experience with everybody. You know, there were things because of the national program that we all had to do that we hated in gym class. And from my era, you can pretty much mention those things to anybody and you can make that connection no matter what part of the nation or whatever. And, you know, so that, that was one of the things at Bethany, we all stayed there on the weekend. We went to the all campus parties. We went to the plays where we were in the plays and there was this constant sense of community among the folks on campus. And that's one of the reasons why I loved it and why I liked the plays better than the concerts, because there were some pretty good concerts and it was fun to go, but they did cabaret. I mean, they did this thing with called cabaret and Gary Kappel was always in it. And they did these songs by this guy named Tom Lehrer, who I'd never heard of. It was really like this, this political commentator who's completely, you couldn't play his music today. People's heads would blow off. But it was just so great. And my mind was just constantly exploding, learning stuff while I was entertained and, and supporting other students. And that to me was just really, it really was meaningful. Well, you, you bring up community. That's going to be a really good roll in for my, uh, my send off here for part one. Before I send it off, is there any specific Chambers general store memory that pops into your head? <laughs> I was did not have a lot of spending money as a kid. So I was not the person that was off campus buying sodas or, you know, things like that or sandwiches. I, uh, I spent a lot of time in the calf. <laughs> so I don't have the great memories that other people do. Well, We've come to that point. This is Alicia-ish Ford, class of 1991. We're gonna send it to Harry Chambers because if Chambers doesn't have it, you don't need it. It's on the back of the t-shirts that they're selling, the third or second round of those, third round of the Mushroom Capital of the World shirts, and they're in a very good psychedelic green for you. So make sure if you're in Bethany or if you have access to their Facebook page, get on there, order a shirt, especially with the holiday season coming up. You can also, if you're in town, stop and get a breakfast sandwich, biscuits and gravy. The soups are back. Daily lunch specials. First Friday of every month is fish. Uh, plus, again, the shirt doesn't lie. If Chambers doesn't have it, you really don't need it because they have everything in that store. And I will continue to say, if you came to Bethany, didn't go to Chambers, you didn't come to Bethany at all because it's the only thing on Main Street. Uh, but... Class of 1991, it's Ford. I'm Carl Aguilino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour, and we will be right back. While you're in Bethany, make sure you stop in the store for a daily lunch special, breakfast sandwiches all day, try out the biscuits and gravy, guaranteed it'll fill you up. And also look for our new burnt orange chambers. If we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirts. And our psychedelic green third edition Bethany Mushroom Capital of the World t-shirts. Now back to you, Dingo. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest, Ish Ford, class of 1991. We covered everything in the first part of um, coming from Bridgeport and the, the, the four major or four minors, one class away from another minor, the major in communications. Um, and I'm going to point out a little bit of a chip that was on your shoulder all the way back your freshman year is that you came in knowing what we all know. We all got to take this damn test that connects us all as the alumni of Bethany College. Uh, but you didn't plan to just take that test. 
you were planning and mapping yourself out to, I don't think I'm going to take it. I'm going to kick the hell out of it. I'm going to get distinction on it. And, and on top of that, Larry Grimes is going to be on my comps. So yeah. comps, how does comps uh, work for you? Well, so, you know, we did it in J terms. You'd go back a week early and you'd study, right? And we study in groups and we study individually and we, you know, try to study. And I talked about this a second ago. We didn't have any, I didn't have a study guide. Nobody handed me a book. Nobody handed me, there were probably hints that some of the things that were going to get covered, but we didn't have any of that. We were basically, everybody was sort of on their own with their own study. And I had this way of studying that I would take a piece of eight and a half by 11 notebook paper, like the ones you put in the binder clipper and not in a notebook, and I would fold it in half. So I had four, one, two, three, four sides. Mm-hmm. And I would write really small and I would write all my notes. And everybody always thought I was making cheat sheets, right? Because it looked like it, but I wouldn't have cheated to save my life. Like that's just, no. if I can't, you know, I, I was that, that kid. It wasn't an ethical thing because I, I believed it. Someone said, let me copy off your test. I'm like, fine. But I had to know, like I wouldn't have cheated. I wanted to be the master of the material, right? So so it was doing my way of studying and reading and talking to people. And so Kathy Gabor, who was a couple years ahead of me, who got distinction, I think she had. Yeah, she got distinction. Um, she was an English major, super smart. I idolized her. And uh, she said that I had to write well on my comps. She said, go in there and do the, do the answers, but also you need to write well. So I studied and we watched the, you know, with Operation Desert Storm was happening. We were watching that on TV where, you know, we know we're going to get asked about the coverage of this thing and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other thing. And, and so I don't, I, you know, I was always pulling all-nighters because I was always behind. I will tell you this, though. I was not a morning person, and everybody knew that about me. So, you know, I took one class with Dr. Taylor and or John Taylor and everybody but he knew he was like a genius. And I took one class with him as like music appreciation or something, which again, he held at eight o'clock. And I, I, I never went, like I went to the midterm and I barely passed it because I just couldn't, I couldn't go. And so I, uh, so, you know, comps written comps started like eight o'clock in the morning. Right. So I was like, ah, so the night before the written comps, both, both days, three days, whatever it was, I forgot. I ordered a pizza I got up at like 4.30 in the morning and started dicking around and ate pizza at like six o'clock. So to trick my body into thinking it was afternoon. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was up super early before comps, you know, I didn't drink coffee then. <laughs> I didn't really need coffee. I don't need coffee now, but I had a dry, I was, I, you know, I would drag in the morning, but so I got up, I ate cold pizza, I watched TV, I tried to get my mind going as much as I could because, you know, I wanted to prove that I was a smart kid. Like, I wanted, I wanted that validation that I knew the material. And, uh, but I went in and that was what I did. I, I wrote well and I focused very hard on the writing part of it. And I was also sort of a jerk in some parts of it. Like when we had to define precedent, cause you know, legal, you know, calm law. One of the things was precedent. And I wrote like the one page of the blue book, I wrote really big, the guy who runs the country, ha ha ha. <laughs> and I don't know why I was like, but one of the professors at the time, she said, you know, they're supposed to, they were supposed to grade unbiased. Like they were not supposed to know whose books they were reading. And she said, you know, Ish, I got to that. I flipped the page. I looked at that. I was like, oh, this is Ish's book. And she said, I opened it and looked, and it was your book. And I was like, good. Good. I I got my point across. (laughs) (laughs) There was a part where we had to explain censorship versus, oh, whatever the other thing is. And now I'm blanking on it. It was censorship versus another form of censorship. And I blanked, just like I'm blanking now. And uh, prior restraint, maybe censorship versus prior restraint. And I blanked, I blanked, and I panicked. And there was this DJ named Wolfman Jack that was a big deal when I was growing up. And I knew Wolfman. I had I had Wolfman Jack's voice in my head because I was a kid. 
I knew what he talked like. And I, you know, I was very enamored of radio as a kid and MTV then later and justify my love or whatever it was had just come out where it was some really dirty song that Madonna sang. And I, to get through the assignment, I turned on Wolfman Jack's voice in my head and basically wrote a radio show of him introducing this song and explaining why he was playing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it was like, it turned into a whole like writing assignment for me because I blanked. So I took on a character and wrote, you know, and so, but I knew, I knew at the time probably that having been pushed into that mental space, um, my writing was probably better because it was almost like a creative writing assignment, but it got the point across. And I don't know if anybody remembers this. So I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, when we had, um, wait, I'm going to think of it. Shouldn't show you the top of my head. Uh, bald girl. Um, we had origins of modern Western thought, right? And we studied like Dadaism and expressionism, like the painting thing. Mm -hmm. So we had this, and we had this assignment that was given to us that we got like a list of five songs and we had to explain which, why we thought which one was this, you know, expressionism, Dadaism, you know, uh, realism. And we had to write about the song and why we thought it was that. And that was one of my favorite assignments of all time. And I think in my head, I kind of drew on that too, because we were talking about fine art, but in terms of music and, you know, so like I went in there and I wrote well and I made an effort of writing well. And then I turned in my papers and started to fret, you know. Uh, before we get to the, the oral side, I want to, since they will be releasing this, people will be getting gearing up for their January comps. And then, you know, the spring compers, some of us were, were late on more than just getting out of Bethany. We were late <laughs> compers too. Um, is there any advice? Is that the advice you would give is that you want to really know your stuff but you really want to be a, you want to focus on the writing. You want to be, you want to make sure your writing is good. Well, I mean, write well. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I obviously have seen the entire list of everybody who's gotten distinction. And uh, I know about how many people get it every year and when more or less people get it. But I think that, you know, it, it's a testament to your academic ability to not only be able to answer the questions in essay form, but to be able to grace under pressure, do it well. And, you know, it was, it was an uphill battle. And I probably don't know what comps, because there's a thing in, in college uh, education, because then I went on to get a master's degree in education a little bit, not, I didn't finish it because I can't seem to write a thesis, but um <laughs> they did Bethany did this thing called writing across the curriculum and I still don't know if they they, they still do that but in every major the, I, the, the philosophy behind writing across the curriculum is that every major every teacher is a writing teacher mm -hmm. and in every class you are writing you, you, you are doing essays and you are doing final papers and Bethany used to be very big in this and this is the thing that's gotten me over my whole life is that I can I learn to write well so you know and and if you can write well you can do pretty much anything well and that yeah. leads into since you already kind of spoiled it with you knowing the list of all the other people that are on it um and i will i'm gonna do a little spoiler the creator of the 1933 society which is the society that belongs to those of you that got the extra button on your chest <laughs> distinction uh so orals went well i'm guessing no <laughs> well, let's hear about it. How do we become distinguished? That's the. <laughs> well, so I went into my orals, and I'd actually heard rumors, like on campus, because I was freaking out. Because what if I didn't get distinction? I, I don't know who I would have been, like if I hadn't got distinction. Like because in my mind, this was who I was. Like I was this academic kid who got distinction on our conference. <laughs> so if I hadn't gotten it, I don't know who I would have been. And um, and I had heard that a conversation between a couple of professors, somebody overheard it and told me. 
that they were talking about how well my comps were written. Like, you know, it's like, yes, I won that part. So, uh, so I go into my orals and it was Dr. Grimes and Dr. Keegan and an associate professor. And I feel like there was another professor in the room. I felt like it was a four, four on one situation, but I can't remember who the third one was because I remembered that Dr. Buchholz, or I don't know if she was a doctor, but, and Dr. Keegan got into sort of an argument about whether or not I was answering a question. Or Dr. Keegan, the other person got into an argument about whether I had answered this question. And somebody said, you know, I think she's answered the question. Like, so it was like this kind of, it was about subjective subjectivity and, and objectivity. And, you know, and I was trying to work through that. And I have blocked a lot of the, with exception of the fact that they kept asking this one question over and over again. And I kept answering it. And then somebody stepped in on my behalf. And there were two kids, there were, you know, you could go in and watch somebody else's orals. The girls that sat and watched my orals, they kind of both like broke down into tears. They were like, oh my God, that was so, they were like attacking you. And I'm like, I expected no less, but you know, so I go out and I, I just was, I mean, I, I, a lot of times when I have a public speaking engagement now, I sort of do the whole thing and it's an out of body experience. And I don't remember anything that happened. I remember being there, but I sort of just leave my body and go with it. And um, I remember being out in that hallway forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, they, in a sense, fought about whether I had earned distinction. And I guess in my mind, it was this foregone conclusion mm-hmm. that I, I mean, I was passing, like I knew that, but I didn't know whether they were going to give me distinction on my exams. And <laughs> When they told me, I, I like, I dropped to the ground. Like I literally kind of just sank down to my knees because it was everything to me. That was my whole college journey. And if you had asked anybody while I was there, like, is this what Ish is trying to do? They would have been like, Ish? Yeah, no. <laughs> like, you know, nobody would have thought that of me. And of course I graduated in a time when you didn't get a butt. Like, so, and, and I could never have come out and said, well, who I got distinction on my comps. You just didn't do that. It just wasn't done. Mm-hmm. So the two kids that were with me shot out and went out ahead of me and said, you know, Ish got distinction. And that was how everybody knew when I came out the door. So ending comps wasn't what it has become where you come out, obviously you got, a, you got the two pins or you got one pin. It was almost like a faux pas to come out and say, like, yeah, I, I did it. I, yeah, you didn't brag about it. You didn't talk about it. Like, if you got distinction, it was sort of considered gauche for you to talk about it. Okay. And and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to create the 1933 Society, because you're in front of other people who it doesn't matter if you did or, you know, because you, they, you, they did too, you know, because people seem to take offense to it, like, still like a certain age of people they're like oh that's elitist i'm like maybe but also no because you can't buy it you can't old money your way into it like it's out there for everybody to try to earn and if you did you did and if you didn't i mean a couple of the smartest people in the whole world that i know didn't get distinction well gary Cappell said he, he was no he's yeah not- he didn't get distinction did not get distinction, but he's a part of the, he's a, he's a faculty advisor or he's a, or he was he's, a, he's an honorary 33 member because he helped me get it started and he should have gotten distinction and he is distinguished. And as far as I'm concerned, he's like basically the faculty advisor for the alumni society, but uh, you know, and Grimes is too by default and Grimes got distinction by the way. Yeah. Um, but then they got, they got a letter after the fact, like they didn't even know when they graduated, they got a letter in the mail. So they didn't, have to, they weren't able to tell anybody. Yeah, It was just something that they got. And so I thought, you know, it's the sort of this thing that you do at the end of your college campus. And by the way, there's one picture of me coming out the door of me getting sick. And I'm like this, because I'm sobbing so hard. Like I'm like this coming out the door because I'm sobbing. Mm-hmm. Like, so, I mean, you know, that was, to me, it was like a big seminal moment in my own identity as a college student right 
so I think that's why it's like this big deal to me because again, being a, a I mean, I can't, Bridgeport's not a poor community by any stretch of West Virginia imagination. It's a very well-to-do community. I was poor living in West Virginia or living in Bridgeport. So I wasn't a part of, you know, the in crowd there. And, you know, I didn't have those circles. So for me, like when I wanted to get into Zeta, I called my mom like, mom, I want to be Zeta. It's the best sorority on campus. My mom goes, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> because that was, that was story. The, the, yeah. the, well, that's great, honey, but don't uh, <laughs> relax a little bit. Yeah, don't get your hopes up because that was sort of it. Like we didn't, like I didn't get into the, the things because we weren't. So to me, it's very merit-based and very much like Bethany gave me a scholarship and they gave me a chance and they brought me there and they let me take classes like Dr. Judy, my second semester freshman year, I wanted to take this class. I I had a hole in my schedule. And Dr. Judy said, this this might go into my second semester freshman year. I'm like, Dr. Judy, I need two hours. He's like, take this class. It's aesthetics art. It was aesthetics art and philosophy. It was like a 300 level class. I'm like, Dr. Judy. I don't have any of the prerequisites. I can't take that class. It requires prerequisites. And he goes, oh, and he signed me into it. Yeah, here's the prerequisites. Yeah. And from that moment on, I never had to take any prerequisites. Like I had gotten this golden ticket. I took all these classes that were above my pay grade. And for me, being like a bad student, like unable to attend class, this was me validating Bethany's faith in me and my professor's faith in me was that I will show you that I have learned and I will show you that I have remembered and that I have, I will excel at this thing to show you that everything you have given me, I have appreciated. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Actually, we had JP Silk on a couple of weeks ago and one of his big things was also the, it, it's not about if my, if my, and pardon my language, it's not about if my ass is in the seat or not. If the work is good, then the work is good. It doesn't matter that I, the, the attendance policies, uh, but don't, I'm not going to get off on that rant because I think you and I both could go for days on, on an attendance yeah. policy. Well, it's uh, so funny because I, I was, to, to tell people, like to give this picture of how fraught that, like the college was about giving somebody like me distinction, I was in the dean's office one time, getting in trouble for something. And I was walking out and somebody said something to me about, you know, well, if you're not going to class, you're just wasting your, wasting your parents' money. I turned around, I'm like, I'm here on scholarship. I'm wasting your money. I'm <laughs> <laughs> that really well. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't even say the final thing. I was like, I'm wasting your money. And I was gone, you know, because... To me, in my mind, especially if my parents were paying, and this goes back to the argument, if I'm paying to be there, it's my money to waste. And if, if my scholarship says you have to maintain a 3-2 to keep your scholarship, and I'm doing that, then I'm sorry if you don't appreciate the way I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. And this is, you know, this is a big thing now, even like with remote work. Do we want the end product or do we want to watch the people work? Like, where is, where is the investment? And so, you know, it, it bodes well to, for people to talk about it because it continues throughout your career. Like when I'm working, even when I was a journalist, I would say to my editors, don't watch me work because I'm going to be, I'm going to go out. I'm going to cover the story. I'm going to come back. I'm going to eat. I'm going to walk around and talk to people. I'm going to eat again. And then I'm going to have some coffee and then I'm going to dork around. I'm going to help somebody else with their layout. And then all of a sudden it's the story's going to come to me. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to bang it out and it's going to be fabulous. You're going to love it. But if you expect me to be sitting there working through it for two and a half hours, that's not going to happen. So, you know, it's a, it's a greater, it's worth having a philosophical argument about because it, it never sort of stops. Like I was in, I took um, calm law mm-hmm. and so then I was in like ethics of calm. And so they ask a question about what legal something decided something. And I'm looking around the room. Everybody's just sitting there. The professor who hates me the most. And I'm like, and I give him the answer. And he goes, oh, guess you were in class that day. And I was like, no, I just read the text. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I need to read. Thank you. <laughs> Next question. Anyway, but you know, I had the answer. Isn't that what matters? So after Bethany, you've already kind of given us, you've shed some light. You were you're down W, you're down in Morgantown. You work for both WVU and Dominion. The Dominion Post, yeah. And then so where was the move after those two jobs wrapped? <sighs> I have had, my resume is so peppered with jobs that it's actually a detriment to me at this point. So uh, I worked for the Dominion Post and I loved it. And the idea of the Gen X person that as a slacker, that's sort of the one thing that I don't have because I was lucky enough that right out of college, I mean, I pounded the payment because if I didn't work, like I got, nobody was supporting me. So, you know, so I got two part-time jobs, which eventually ended up as a full-time job at the Dominion Post. But like right out of college, when a lot of my friends were like working at Kinko's or bartending to pay off their student loans or whatever, I was working in journalism. Mm -hmm. I was doing what I wanted to do. And uh, and now as an adult, my claim to fame actually is that, look, I'm embarrassed. Like, look how red my cheeks are. People are like, she looks like a hussy. But it's just because I'm like so like embarrassed talking about my life. Um, my first intern at the Dominion Post, I was 23, I think. I'm six years older than her. I must have been almost 24, but I was 23 because my birthday's in December and she was 18. Her name is Margie Mason. And uh, she was an intern when I was there and I gave her her first story assignment and she won the Pulitzer Prize in 2017, like the Pulitzer Prize. Whoa, so that's a, that's a pretty big... Uh... She was here, and the, but she was now. She's like, yeah. She works for the Associated Press. She's a big deal. She's a BFD. So, but um, that's the best thing I ever did as a journalist was give her her first story assignment. But I, I, you know, I loved working in journalism at that time. I loved working for the Dominion Post. They, after they got used to my work style and learned to trust me as a reporter, like basically every story idea I ever wanted to pursue they let me pursue it, which was a blessing. So I worked in journalism for a long time. I worked for the Dominion Post. I worked for the Times West Virginian. I worked for the uh, Clarksburg Exponent Telegram. But in this time in the 90s, after I graduated, my mother got very sick and passed away. And I had like a major family trauma. Like I have a handicapped sister. So when my mother died, I became a legal guardian for my sister who's mentally and physically handicapped. And we almost, I almost lost our house and I couldn't work because I was trying to take care of my sister. And so there's a big honking hole in the middle of my life. And so then I, I eventually kind of got back on track and I actually, <laughs> I left, I was working at the Dominion Post. My mother's, I'm out on my family leave. I was, my mother was in the hospital. I drove to Fairmont. I, I drove down to Bridgeport. I planned my mother's funeral because we we're going to take her off the ventilator. I went to Fairmont. They had a job open for somebody to work in their house in Bridgeport and cover Bridgeport for the Fairmont Times. And I walked in and I was like, I need this job because I have to be at home taking care of my sister. I need to work out of my home in Bridgeport to save my family home, to keep my sister at home. And they're like, we've already offered the job to somebody else. And I said, I need you to call them and take the job back. Because if you don't give me this job, my life falls completely apart. This is the only way forward I can see. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and they literally like, did oh, it. <laughs> we're going to yeah. listen to this lady, I think. <laughs> yeah, they literally called, they called the guy. I guess they called the guy because the job was mine. Well, so, it's ironic that that happened to you post-Bethany because your beginning of Bethany was also the pick up the phone, <laughs> call Larry Grimes, and he's got to be on the phone going, 18 what? With, the, with, the, with the fortitude <laughs> call and say, you better put me in this class. And <laughs> boom, there it was. So, <laughs> this technique. If I'm just going to walk in and say, listen, <laughs> give me this job. Well, we offered no. I don't care. No. Offer. You call them and tell them the next job is theirs. This one's mine. It was a little extraordinary. I was like, look, I have just planned my mother's funeral. I'm going to leave here and drive back to Pittsburgh, wake up tomorrow and take my mother off life support alone because I have no family. And so this is what you're going to do. And it was a little bit extraordinary. I, I mean, probably extremely extraordinary, I guess. But 
And so I get back, by the way, long story, short story long, I get back up to Pittsburgh. I'm all girded up, you know, to, to you know, because I literally had to make this decision by myself. And they're like, we're going to try one more thing. <laughs> you made me do this. Like you made me do this. And so my mom lived another six months, but she never left the hospital. So after my mom passed, I'm working for the Times West Virginia and I get hired back at WVU full time. And I'm the director of student news, which you would think is all that college campus news is. But that's not true. I was just sort of one of many people like like student news was my thing, but there was research news and you know football news and all this. So so and because I, I tend to make really, really good decisions. I decided I wanted to be a waitress because <laughs> I had never waited tables. My intern was waiting tables. It sounded like a really good time. And I quit my job at WV News Services to go and wait tables at Pargo's. And, and I just got to ask, so, so how was the experience of waiting tables? I loved it. One of my favorite jobs I ever had. And so I'm working there, enjoying it, but not making enough money. Burned a major bridge with WVU because my boss was like, excuse me, what? And I was like, yes, and so, um, yeah, so I'm there and the guy from, you know, one of the newspapers down closer to Bridgeport comes in. He's like, this is what you're doing now? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, no, nah, come work for us. So I went back, worked in it. So then I met this guy named Pat Ford, who I eventually married, and he was doing comprehensive planning. Like he was a guy who came in and wrote a comprehensive plan for a city, a county, a community to like a master plan for the community. He was an architecture and engineering guy out of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And we started dating. And I was fascinated. I covered him at a public meeting. And that's how we met. So I started reading, because I'm a nerd, I started reading these plans that he was writing for West Virginia communities. And I was like, you know, Pat, these are great. If you want to put it on a shelf and have a lovely academic document, if you want the people in West Virginia to use these plans, they're crap. <laughs> so I started redlining them. I got out the red pen. I'm you know, marking them all up. The red pen, I ruined his self-esteem. And, um, and his company hired me. They saw, they, 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 like he took it back and said, you know, this girl says these plans are never going to get used. So he would go out and do the planning and bring all the, the academic the, all the pieces back to me and I would write the plan. And again, so I moved into how good you are at writing. It's <laughs> yeah, I could write well and I could read well and my reading comprehension was good, you know, and this is all Bethany stuff. And, and so I was writing these plans and then I got this opportunity to go into Baltimore in the inner city and work with a community that was an empowerment zone in the late nineties or no, in the two thousands. And um, it was, you know, I'd never been in a community like that. It was inner city Baltimore and nobody wanted to go in. Like there had been a problem, like a race relations problem with the old white guys in Pat's firm. Shocking news. And um, they were, they, they weren't getting along well. And I'm down in West Virginia. I'm like, ooh, ooh, send me in. I'll go. So they sent me in and that's how I became a city planner. So I'm working now as a project planner with no degree in planning, but this is what I'm doing. So we moved to Florida and I took the civil service test in planning to try to get a job as a city planner in Margate, Florida. And I did well on that test too, because I apparently test well, thank you, Bethany. And I became a city planner in Florida. And then I moved into like Main Street's community development from there. And that's sort of basically what I've done since that time. I've been like a chamber of commerce director. I'm, uh, I was the director of the city of Pittsburgh Main Street's program. I've done uh, tourism, and now that I'm old and decrepit and useless, um, I basically work as a consultant for nonprofits uh, to help them put together fundraising plans, board development, leadership training, you know, all this stuff because <sighs> it's fun for me. I like fundraising. So. You gotta keep yourself busy too. Yeah, and as I've gotten older, my sister's gotten older. Um, one of the things that she's sort of my number one priority. So I, it's nicer for me to be able to be like in the gig economy and stay flexible mm -hmm. so that 
she's in Kentucky now in a skilled nursing facility because she's very intensive medical care. And, um, and but she gets really good care there. So, you know, I, I drive and see her and I interact with her every day, you know, thank God for technology. And, uh, and so that, you know, I had to start telling employers like I can work for you, but if I get a phone call and my sister's in the hospital, that's where I'll be. Yeah. So, so now the gig economy came at the right time in my life, you know, for me to be an independent contractor. So that's what we do. So <clears throat> we've covered comps. We've covered what you're doing. Now we're going to come to present day of back here, Bethany. I've last two questions. Yep. First question, if you were talking about the brand of the college right now, what is Bethany's brand? And the second part of the question is how, how or what do you say to a prospective student to get them to come to Bethany? Well, the thing that I struggle with when I watch Bethany is that, you know, when I went to Bethany, it was only 19% West Virginian. It was not an Ohio Valley-based college. It was very known up and down the East Coast. Like my dad had an easier time in Florida. And this was, you know, before the big Florida push, like this was in the 80s. And, you know, we met people. So like telling people, oh, my daughter goes to Bethany College, people sort of knew where that was. But West Virginians, it wasn't a West Virginia school where people thought, oh, I'll go to Bethany. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I really was down with the small college of national distinction brand. And I still am down with that because I think that I, I will never stop valuing my liberal arts education. And that's just not where the United States is right now. But if you do want to compete as a liberal arts school, you need to be heavy hitting on your academics. And I think there was a time in Bethany's his, history, recent history that they stepped away from that or didn't prioritize that. I know theater wasn't prioritized, you know, born language day is no more. And, um, and when I went to Bethany, it was a very specific kind of student. It was, you know, probably a student to, to make everybody on the planet mad who could have afforded to go to the Ivy league, but either didn't want to, or didn't academically chop it in. Mm -hmm. And we, but we did this thing. I mean, Bethany at the time I graduated was one of only a dozen colleges in the United States that required both an undergraduate thesis and comprehensive exam. And, you know, I think that that brand of a small college of national distinction that made no apologies for how difficult it as and how rigorous and how academic it was and how rich in community and that ideal of the, the, the professors and the small class size and all of those things, to me, that is still Bethany's brand. And that is what makes me proud to have attended Bethany. Um, but, and I think in terms of brand, in terms of, everybody's going to bring their own expertise to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So to me now I'm looking at the town and gown kind of idea. I look at where Bethany is located and what the community has in it. You know, Chambers is this gem of a store that you have one of those in every college community where it's just this and Bubba's was too. Right. And Bubba for all his flaws was able to, yeah, it's the nicest word we can come up with, flaw. Nicest way to say that. <laughs> yeah, he had, he stewarded that bar in many ways. Like when the kids started to come in, the town folk were, were you get out. They were here to take care of these kids. You know, that their reason we're here. If you're a town folk or an adult, you're sitting with me right here at the bar where I can keep an eye on you because I'm, I'm taking care of these kids. Like, and that's a, a wild point to argue considering some of the things that went down there, but it could have been a lot, 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 lot worse. So you had this local bar, you have this, you have chambers, you had a couple of things, but now if I'm looking at a small liberal arts college, 
I'm going to want there to be a main street that reflects that. I'm going to want to be driving in on roads. And this is what, not Bethany's fault, this is West Virginia's fault, that do not look like dinosaurs have trodden upon them because West Virginia gave itself over like it does with everything to the shale industry in such a way that they're not even able to maintain the roads because the trucks drive so hard on them. And, you know, Bethany's in a difficult position because it has to save itself and save the town and bring back the Greek system and bring back the college community and make people want to stay there and be there and eat in the calf and have this fabric. And that's not popular. That's not every student. And so you're looking for this niche student for this niche college. And probably a lot of people don't want Bethany to be that niche because once you get up into that rare air, you're going to call yourself college of national distinction and you better prove it. You better back, yeah, there's going to be a backup. But yeah. You can't just say it. Right. And I believe that's a fine brand. Mm-hmm. I think they've had it forever and ever. It's a stately campus. It's a beautiful place. You do get opportunities to learn there. The overarching idea that the faculty have always had, which is we teach you how to think. You know, they we break down this these ideas that you come in with these structures and teach you how to think. Origins of modern Western thought is such a new, new class. And I don't think they call it that anymore, but some of these required classes, the idea of the freshman seminar, I think all of those things make Bethany, made Bethany competitive on a national scale. So but I, I will admit to not knowing anything about today's college student and what they want and what they don't want because I don't have a college student. And if I did, they would probably be nerdy like me. They would probably want to go to a tiny little liberal arts school where they are going to get this intensive education where they can walk out and mentally compete with anybody. You know? Well, Ish, we've come to that point. I want to say that was that was the best explanation of, of, of what the brand is and how to get people here uh, that I've heard so far. And well, thank you, gosh. It, it, it's, it's part of that 1933 society. You guys just make things sound better. But we've come to that point of the show. I want to say thank you again for taking time during the this holiday to uh, sit down and talk with us. Um, for those of you that don't know or just joining us, this is Ish Ford. And if you just joined us, go back to the beginning, watch it from the beginning to get to where we are here. Um, but thank you very much for being a part of the show. I'm Carla Guadagnino. This is Ish Ford, class of 1991. And we will see you next Thursday, Chuckleheads. Know by now. You want to know by now. You want to know by now.